Hey guys, Don Ricci here. Welcome to episode 55 of Coaches Tuck Radio. On this episode, I had the pleasure of being joined by Andrea Hooty. She's the head strength and conditioning coach. Technically, her title is the assistant athletic director, but she's the head strength and conditioning coach for the University of Kansas men's basketball team. And for me, this was a real treat to sit down and chat with Andrea. I've been a big fan of hers since I got into coaching uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, uh, she's been coaching now for about 25 years. So uh, she has longevity and experience uh, that is almost unmatched. Uh, but uh, also, too, as a strength coach in the basketball world, I've noticed kind of, you know, this is my observation uh, looking from the outside in that the training culture in basketball is kind of hit and miss. Uh, some teams love it. Some players love it. Some teams, uh, programs, some athletes, uh, just it's foreign. Uh, but uh, if you follow Andrea, uh, she has her athletes snatching, cleaning, squatting, doing a lot of barbell work. And uh, what I also find inter interesting is that in, uh, you know, a lot of in the strength and conditioning world, the uh, barbell movements and the specifically the snatch and clean jerk and their variations are kind of poo-pooed with uh, basketball players because, oh, they're too tall. They can't, or they're too weak, or uh, they don't know their bodies well enough. Uh, and, you know, in our, my discussion with Andrea, she looks at that and says, that's, that's the reason why you should use these movements. Uh, but uh, in our conversations, you know, we touch on a lot of things. You know, we, we get into Andrea's history um, and her journey within the strength and conditioning world and um, how she's been lucky. I wouldn't say lucky, but she's taken advantage of the opportunities and the situations that she's uh, been given and been put into. And she's had some incredible mentors along the way. Um and yeah, so we talk touch on the importance of mentorship, uh, but also you know taking advantage of those opportunities that you are presented with and given. Um, so we also kind of touch on some of the biggest challenges that uh, she faces as a strength coach and how she manages them, and get into kind of the you know she uses a uh, breaks down the. Um, you know, the interpersonal versus the technical, and she gave a good stat where you know 80% of her job seems to be in the interpersonal world of that relationship building, where you know only 15% is the technical. Now that 15% is very important, which we talk about, but you know to really make that connection and get that quote unquote buy-in, if you may, uh, is really built in that 85%. So um, loved this conversation and have the utmost respect for Andrea. Um, and what she has done, is doing, and will continue to do. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Uh, and just a reminder, if uh, you like what we're spinning, if you're new to us, uh, or you've been following us for a while, listening to us for a while, please punch over to iTunes and hit us up with a five-star review. And uh, good, bad, meh, hit us up, please. It helps. It's going to help us 
expand our listenership and grow what we're trying to do here. And with that being said, we're going to jump into it and we go in straight from the music into the interview. So that's enough from me, guys. Episode 55. Here we go. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your hectic, busy schedule in season. So, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Today's a snow day, actually. Here, ah, it's freed up the schedule a little bit. Good. (laughs) Uh, The whole the whole country is freezing over. It seems like in some (laughs) capacity. But yeah. uh, So I wanted to have you on uh, because I've been following you from afar for quite some time, um, and uh, just wanted to take this opportunity to, um, you know, selfishly learn from you, but also to give you a, uh, a platform to kind of talk about your journey um, with kind of our listenership who tends to be more uh, from the weightlifting community. So, um, but well, thank you again for reaching out though. It's awesome that you reached out and we connected. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I'm, I'm humble. So, uh, so I want to start, to give the listeners an idea, let's just start simple and, and uh, I'll throw you a softball. Kind of let's, let's get into your journey within you know, the strength and conditioning world, um, you know, how you got started, why you wanted to get into uh, not just coaching, but strength and conditioning and um, kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when I was in junior high, I took an aptitude test. And I remember going home and telling my mom, mom, I'm supposed to be an auto mechanic. She said, That's not happening. (laughs) Where'd you grow up, Andrea? In Huntington, Pennsylvania. So central PA near Penn State University. Okay. Okay. So very much no man's land between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Okay. I'm not too familiar with that area, but I I, I know um, I have a a buddy who lives in uh, and coaches out of Reading. Oh, yeah. That's probably like three hours away. Okay. Yeah. So Penn State or uh, Pennsylvania is like one of the longest states to go through. Right. It's all like a it's like a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So anyway, you... nothing against auto mechanics, and I wish I would have done that because I uh, <clears throat> I have a mechanical kind of uh, mind I think that operates, so I look at things a little differently than most people I think. Um, so then I was a pretty good athlete. I could go and jump and grab the rim as a 14 year old five, eight, uh, female. And that kind of garnered a lot of attention in a small town, you know, so you go through a practice, volleyball, basketball, whatever. And then the next day you go and then you go try to touch the rim and you're hitting the bottom of the net. So just curiosity wise, you know, as a good athlete, I'm like, well, how, how's that? I work harder than everybody. I work longer than everybody. Why am I getting worse? Right. At a vertical jump from, you know, and again, it fluctuated day to day. I thought everything was, you're always supposed to get better the harder you work. <laughs> right? right. So um, I, I think looking at power output practically as a young athlete, then I got hurt. Um, looking at that as, as a young athlete and seeing what affects power production and speed, 
um, daily or even rep to rep, um, uh, looking at that and then being able to study that at, at Maryland in kinesiology, which is study human movement, um, working with force plates, going to grad school at UConn with force plates, studying with force plates, and um, being a part of probably one of the most interesting cultures in uh, college sports of UConn women's basketball on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. It was just, um, I've been surrounded by really great people. So. You know, you can all, you didn't become an auto mechanic, you became a, a human mechanic. So right, kind of I, my grad degree is in biomechanics. So looking back on it, I was like, wow, that, you know, it all came together for me. And so uh, tell me about your time at UConn, because uh, you, you had great mentors from the sport coaching side. Uh, I would assume was um, uh, Gino there? Would, did you learn? Yeah, I learned. Yeah, I worked for a lot of coaches at UConn from, you know, football, basketball, field hockey, soccer, swimming, diving, oh, whatever. Okay. So you, so you, did, you did it all. Gotcha. Yeah. But then, you know, as my career lengthened there, you know, it was just, it became, somehow I became just the basketball person. So what we got good at was um, doing reps. Like we opened at six o'clock in the morning and we didn't leave until six or seven at night. And it was like a team on the hour, every hour out in this 21,000 or I'm sorry, 2,100 square foot facility. So it was just getting these kids and athletes and just walking them through everything, like 700 athletes, you know? Wow. So it was a factory. And um, the other thing was Dr. Kramer uh, was right down the hall. So I could go knock on his door and ask him a question. Uh, Dr. Marish, Larry Armstrong, like these guys that have a... Um, uh, Doug Casa, who's in heat tolerance now, like these guys were right down the hall from me. Yeah, some of the best uh, sports scientists minds in in this hemisphere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then to have um, you know two Hall of Fame basketball coaches that I was working for with some of the greatest, I, I just it, it was just an unbelievable opportunity. So when you're at UConn, you have exposure to so many teams, so many types of athletes. Um, you, so I have a couple questions or a couple uh, directions I want to go with that. But first, you know, what's uh, what was the biggest learning experience for you? Kind of getting thrown in that twelve-hour, uh, just chaotic coaching bonanza. I loved it. You know that that was who I was. I wanted to work hard. I uh, I've, I don't think I've ever changed who I've been. So um, I've always wanted to work hard. I wanted to outwork people because I knew that was the one thing that I could do. I'm not smarter than everybody else, but I'll outwork you, you know. And um, I look at my core values and persistence is one of them. And on a good side of it, persistence is a good word. But on the other side, stubbornness, <laughs> you know, look at it. I think you have to be stubborn in order to be persistent. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a woman, so I have to be persistent. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you obviously ended up gr uh, gravitating towards basketball, uh, both you know on the w uh, women's and men's team. Uh, why? You know why? Uh, um, you know what? Well, yeah, this is a great story. When I was younger, um, I was a really good basketball player, and uh, Gina Ariama. Uh, was recruiting uh, a Kathy Rush basketball camp in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. And um, again, I, I was a pretty good athlete. 
And again, I was a way better basketball player than I was a volleyball player, but I got hurt. Uh, but I was receiving recruiting letters from Gino. So I knew UConn, I knew where it was. And uh, my mom, thank gosh, she saved all these recruiting letters. Like she saved them in a box and gave them to me. I still have them. And the one recruiting letter was from Gino. And it was like 1987 or 1988, something like that. And it said, hey, we've had a really great two weeks here at UConn. We've won five games in a row, right? <laughs> you know, you talk about building a culture and a process because don't they have like at least 110 in a row or something, whatever that number is in a row. But that was in 1987. It was like, hey, it was great. We have five in a row. So you talk wow. about the history behind all that. Yeah, the uh, having that vision from day one and seeing it uh, evolve. Well, so that, and that's uh, that's crazy. You get recruited by him as a uh, as a player, and then you end up uh, yeah, becoming part part of his uh, support staff. Yeah, he probably didn't remember me though. <laughs> I don't even think I ever talked to him about that. You know. Oh, that's a bummer. You gotta you gotta reach out to him again about that. Yeah, I have so, something sarcastic to say, though. <laughs> um, so you're drawn to basketball because that's that's what you knew as an athlete, essentially. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, so then you make the move to – how long were you at UConn for? Um, nine, uh, nine and a half years. Okay. And then from there you made the jump to Kansas. Kansas. Yep. Okay. And then, you know, so uh, – how did you make the transition into men's basketball? Well, that was uh, part of the whole process. Again, when I was at UConn, we st I started in January 1995 and I worked for Jerry Martin, who, you know, means a lot to me. It was just, I was thrown to the sharks. And if those sharks smell blood, those sharks eat. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was just, he was like, go do it. You know, and uh, it was, I, I always say I have a PhD in failure. I fail every day, but I have to learn from that. And um, I, I fail a lot. And uh, as an athlete, though, and a coach, I love being an athlete. I love being a coach. I love working hard. And I love working with people. I'm a, and the thing is, it's like people always say, well, what's the difference between a teacher and a coach? Coach gets wins and losses. A teacher gets results. So I don't get any wins and losses, really. What we have to do is get results. Right. Well, especially in the context of strength conditioning. Yeah. We're not responding. Yeah. Um, so what's – so you talk about failure a lot. Uh, were there a couple – I guess, did you have a, any – um, one or a couple of failures that really kind of served as a catalyst for you of, oh shit, like I really need to rethink uh, the way I do certain things or, you know, um, did you have any of those moments where, where it was really game changing for you in terms of experiencing some type of failure to propel you up to the next level? Yeah. When, um, you know, as a recruited athlete, everybody wants you on their team, right? And then uh, after you're done with your athletic career, it's like, well, okay, well, now it's time to get a job. And you think that's going to be easy. And it's really competitive out there. So um, I didn't get this job that I thought I was a shoe in for because I knew the person. And they were like, yeah, you didn't really show us anything that 
I'm like, but I know you. And they're like, yeah, but you didn't show us anything. You know, so um, that hit hard and it hit home. And I knew that if there was anything that I ever wanted from that point on, um, that I had to go get it or uh, readjust my thoughts on what I thought I wanted, for sure. That happened to me twice. And both times, both big failures were... Um, turning points in how I looked at getting a job, at camp, starting to campaign for jobs, get people to call, network, uh, come up with a portfolio, somehow set myself apart. Yeah, I think that's an, it's an interesting dynamic within uh, the institutional setting for strength and conditioning. Uh, you know, that's almost, you know, so I'm in the private sector, that's, I guess, the equivalent of you know, the marketing that we have to do and the kind of the sales, um, whether they think, uh, you know, whether it's on the institutional side or the private side, a lot of coaches think, well, I'm just going to coach. I'm going to do, uh, you know, if I do a good job uh, coaching, I'm going to get noticed. But sometimes that's not the case, unfortunately. Yeah, um, coaching, sometimes the people who are the loudest get noticed. And just because you're loud doesn't mean you're any good. <sighs> Right. Well, and then social media and yada, yada. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, so which leads me to the next thing kind of want to segue into. So you've been coaching in strength and conditioning for almost 24-ish years. Uh, yeah, I'm going on 25. 25. So and that's, that's just strength and conditioning. I, I, I feel like ever since I was little and all I've known is coaching because my parents were teachers and coaches and then you know, my coaches in college put me in situations that I had to coach, you know, at camps and things like that. Cause I think they saw something in me. What was that? Or what do you think that was that they saw? Because they, there always has to be, you know, in my mind it, for a teacher or a coach to put an athlete in a situation, a leadership situation, they have to see something. What, what do you think that was? You know, I, um, um, I'm a critic. I'm a self-critic. I'm a critic of others. And uh, I was asked one of the best uh, leadership uh, things was I had was uh, she asked me to go speak to the Girl Scouts somewhere in Sp Silver Springs, Maryland. And I was like, sure, I'll go speak to them. And beforehand, there was a uh, another athlete from another sport from Maryland speaking to this group of kids. And these, the group of kids, they were like, uh, you know, they were totally not interested. Falling asleep. <laughs> Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Um, that's not who I am. This is not my audience. So I have to change it. I looked at it and I was like, if they want me to speak, uh, boy, you know, this is going to be really, really hard. So um, having little kids as my audience, it was easy for me to just start, hey, let's go. Come on. Because I had to control the temperature of the room. You know, uh, so I take away from that is, is uh, self-awareness and communication and controlling the temperature of a room that you're in charge of. And do you have, just so I can get a framework, are, are you, uh, do you have siblings? And oh, I'm, so the kind of where, I'm the youngest of five. Okay. So you, you had to learn how to kind Reader of battle book. and, and uh, yeah. I am battle tested. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the makeup? Uh, uh, um, how many brothers, how many sisters? Yeah, I have a, my oldest is a brother, a sister, sister, brother, and then me. Okay. So my so next, next my, bag, yeah. 
yeah, my brother, uh, that's a year older than I am. We were so competitive, you know, super. God, we God bless your, your mother, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> really. She put up with a lot. Was, <laughs> you know, she used to lock us out of the house because she was like, I can't take it anymore. Don't come back until dinner, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, going back to my first question, what, what you know, 25 years going on 20 or 24 going on 25. So you've, you've created a very sustainable career for yourself. Um, and seemingly, I think that came across a stat, uh, being, uh, Kirkson of train heroic mentioned that, or heard a stat. He was talking about how most strength coaches kind of get out of the business or burn out within, I think four years. Um, and then, uh, like it's that first, that first kind of get out is four years or maybe even less. And that second is about 10 years. Wow. I didn't know uh, that. So, stories. you know, what's, what do you think's led to your sustainability and what's a kind of golden nugget you can give, uh, to our coach listeners out there to put them on a better path for sustainability and, and in the coaching world. Um, again, I've been so fortunate to be around great people, right? So I've been empowered by others. Um, somebody once told me, hey, Hootie, you're successful. And I was like, you know what? I've worked for really good people and I've worked for really good athletes. And that's kind of where I was like, that's my key to success. And he said, no, you need to stop right there. And you need to, you need to understand that the success that you have, you've also created in that when you were given an opportunity, whether it was a good one or a bad one, um, you took it and ran with it and did the best that you could with it. So that's success, you know, just making the best of an opportunity and it could be a bad one, you know? Yeah. Learn, learn from it if it is. So I would say that would be number one is just make, make the best of the opportunities. Now, I don't have a, a dependence either. Um, so I was afforded the opportunity to uh, have all the time for my career. You know, sure. I think that's another thing that separates women and men that have children. I don't. So um, women really struggle with that because they're the ones having the child too. So yeah. when, when you look at that, it's like, okay, well, at some level, I'm on an even playing field with men because I don't have kids. And that's unfortunate, you know. That's reality. It is. Um, so, so you, know, you say like being around great people, uh, whether it's athletes or um, mentors or, well, you know, or mentors or just people that you can learn from. You know, I, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more. You know, the idea of mentorship. Um, you know, who have been some of your I guess, cornerstone or, or, or um, you know, foundational mentors? Um, I would say my parents, one, with um, how we grew up with morals and values and, and putting the family before yourself. <laughs> you know, that's just team concept, right? Right. Putting other people first and having a service mentality. Um, and my family. Uh, but then uh, my coaches from college, uh, who provided opportunities 
for an education and to compete and learn from them because uh, they were great teachers too. Um, but then, you know, my first job really in strength and conditioning was with Jerry Martin, who has passed since. But um, what, what a, you look at the people that we were around and the coaches that came out of that place. Uh, Dr. Um, Kramer always says it was Camelot at one point, and it was. We had, you know, we were doing research on our athletes. We were looking at sports science, and we were getting data results and applying these concepts to our own people in our own environment. So that was really cool. So, you know, um, a lot of younger coaches may not have the, you know, uh, be around uh, great mentors like that. How, how would you recommend creating that or creating, uh, uh, you know, putting yourself in positions uh, to have mentors or to get mentors? Because um, I think that can be a, that can be a difficult thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's really hard. Um, Jerry created it at UConn, and I feel like I've created it here in that um, we work with Dr. Fry who's another mentor, Andy Fry, with resistance training. We do research on our athletes here. Um, I, I would think, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm in my last MBA class, and it's a leadership class. And we're studying right now transactional versus transformational leadership. And there are so many people involved in this transactional leadership. Like you do something for me, I'll do it for you versus transformational. And I'm all about the transformational because why are we doing what we're doing? Right. You know, it's not for me. It is for me because I like to teach. Um, but it's to see growth in people, you know, and, and myself included. So yeah, the, 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 the personal uh, satisfaction, that's the byproduct yeah, because there are a lot of coaches that are fans. Sure, right? sure, yeah. Well, especially, yeah. And that's, I would assume, especially in, in um, uh, basketball. Oh, yeah. Or, or, or the, you know, the big, uh, you know, the big three sports, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. You know, I'm, I'm a competitor. I, I'm a teacher, and um, I, I want, I, I like being a part of a great organization. That's why I went back and got my MBA because I wanted to be a true Jayhawk. You know, this place is wonderful. And um, within our own little department of sports performance, um, when we have staff meetings, sometimes we talk about exercise and exercise prescription, but a lot of the times it's how do you handle yourself in situations, own the room. I, like if somebody walks in, I want to know who's in charge. Um, uh, like if you do get a, your seat at the table and you do have a job interview, are you using the proper manners and etiquette when you eat? You know, those are things that better people, you know? The, uh, yeah, to me, it's the development of a coach. The X's and O's have to be a, a given. And, uh, the, you know, what you're talking about, I mean, that's really what goes into, you know, that's the, the core of coaching to me. Yeah. It's the, that, that mindset, how you conduct yourself, you know, the X's and O's important, no doubt. But I think, especially in strength conditioning, that's a, a lot, almost too much is put on the X's and O's. I hired uh, a coach um, and she's doing really well right now. She's not here anymore, but I hired her because she facilitated, 
facilitated a meeting and pulled out a chair when we needed a chair. You know, and it's like not everybody realizes that, like to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care who they are. Who wa- I, I always say, everybody who walks through our doors, you treat them with respect and treat them and create ease and make them feel at home because they could steal a hundred dollars from you or they could give you ten million dollars. You never know who you're dealing with. Right. Right. So, um, you know, you run your staff too. So you're not, you're not just coaching, um, athletes, but you're coaching, mentoring yourself. You know, um, if we have listeners that are kind of getting in positions to sit across the table from someone like you in an interview, what, uh, what do you look for the most with, someone that you're looking to hire is it technical knowledge is it you know the um the science is it the uh you know how well like you said are they um aware of what's going on around them to help other people and so like how do how do you you know how can you figure that out uh, just uh, from an interview well, are they a good person are they making eye contact can they sit in front of coaches athletic directors and hold their own and speak their truth um, but yet also protect our business, right? Um, 80, uh, Carnegie says that uh, the study out of Carnegie is 85% of success is based on interpersonal skills and 15% specific skills. So I, I think one that depends on the needs that we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could be different from year to year. So our needs could change in terms of who we want to hire or who we can hire. Um, uh, what am I looking for first and foremost is education and experience, you know, and then there is, is there something that sets that person apart, whether it's on paper or in person? So let me ask you this, cause this is something that, uh, that I ran up to or up, up against, uh, there are coaches. I think there are good coaches that don't have a formal education. They've been self, almost self-taught or done things on, on their own. How, you know, um, and I'm sure you've got, uh, gotten um, applicants like that or, or run into coaches that don't have that formal education uh, for whatever reason. Um, uh, you know, what do you, uh, does that, uh, for you, does that automatically just say, nah, it's, it, unfortunately, it's, you got to have that. Or, you know, um, for those cases, what do you look for? Uh, for those coaches or, pe- or people getting into coaching that don't have the formal education but have experience or mentorship? You know, this- um, I, I'm one to look, uh, um, I want to learn from people that we hire too, you know. So I think for me, and it's just me, right, um, I want to see a formal education background in exercise, exercise science, biology, or something like that, some science. Um, just because I've worked with people before that, uh, couldn't answer the question, um, what determines exercise duration and that's exercise intensity, (laughs) you know, they didn't know that answer. And it's like, right. uh, How can I, how can I support that? How, how can I defend that if there's a situation that happens and I need to defend who I hired? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, well, I'd yes. rather them defend themselves, <laughs> not me have to defend it. Okay, so you look at you know the formal education's kind of a big 
big criteria for you. What, uh, you know, let's keep going down that list. What, what else are the kind of the uh, big? We look for a master's degree also in okay. exercise. Now that doesn't, like you could have a bachelor's degree in whatever, but, uh, and then a master's degree in exercise that, that speaks volumes too, for sure. Um, we're, you know, there's two big organizations that do the certifications for college and we're tied to the NSCA and CSCS. Mm -hmm. uh, just because I've had a history with them, you know, those were the people that I bonded with and connected with over 25 years ago. Well, two, two of your mentors are some of the two, right. <laughs> Kramer and Fry. <laughs> yeah, and, and Jerry and all the coaches that I know have been that. So I just kind of stuck with it. I'm not one to say, okay, well, I need both of them because then I'm paying two organizations for the same thing. I'm like, I don't need both. Mm -hmm. So um, I look for the certification, you know, obviously we need CPR, AED. Um, and then I look for what kind of um, experience they have as an athlete. Okay. So you, you like coaches that have experience as an athlete themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that especially uh, from the ability to empathize with the athletes you work with is very important. Yeah, I was. I did an interview yesterday, and somebody said, "Well, okay. Well, what do you, what are the uh, things you look for in your health and wellness questionnaire?" And I'm like, "Ultimately, what are we trying to get to with that health and wellness questionnaire? Is how are you feeling?" <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So what's, that's what's an easy that right? question. That's an easy question to ask somebody. And then if they say bad, well, we know why you're feeling bad. Whatever you did, what'd you do? Why are you feeling bad? You didn't sleep. You didn't eat. You went out. You did all the, you know, are you not recovered? Um, so instead of having a 12, you know, question, questionnaire, 10 question questionnaire, I just, hey, how are you doing and why? And then educate. So that's, a, that's an instance. Um, so, you, you know, I guess that's kind of segues into like technology that you guys use like and, and you know the, the uh, readiness is a big um, uh, kind of a hot topic now uh, so you're kind of it seems like you're more old school you don't use any technology uh, for like HRV and stuff or you it's more communicating checking in with the athletes only because um, if they're not ready I'm I, I what am I gonna do right so how, I how do you say, okay well let's do recovery but they're still going to practice right you know? so that's where the education comes in between okay well, what affects force production nutrition sleep so we try to educate as much as we can that those things affect force production i would imagine that's uh i mean as <laughs> former college athlete that's tough to you can educate but it's sometimes tough to for the athlete to uh, to implement. <laughs> right. I'll tell you some of yeah. the best results that we get when we're on the road and we're controlling their food. Their oh sleep, yeah. You know, and, and the season's pretty long, so we get a lot of road time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, the last two years, so my junior and senior year, our coach, our, <laughs> as USC football started to improve, <laughs> we got a little bit more on our budget. So, um, you know, our coach would, for home games, we would have, we would stay in a hotel uh, in downtown. And uh, I loved it because we got food. Great. Yeah, right. 
And it, that was a big kind of transformation for us as a team. Uh, and, and we ended up, you know, had more, those last two years were a lot more successful. Yeah. It took out also took for the athlete, so many distractions. Yeah. Right. It took out the question or am I going out tonight or not? No, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, being on the road in like during March madness, like when we're on the road all the time, you're controlling everything. And most of the times when we, I have done the questionnaires or the heart rate variability, again, I'm not going to tell Gino Ariama that D Diane Tarazi wasn't ready to practice. That wouldn't have happened, right? Like, right. it would have been no outcome. But then even on the questionnaires, I don't, I don't know how much truth I'm getting. So a better question is, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now that's just for me, you know, and I know other people do it differently and I respect that, but. Yeah. Well, I, I've heard, um, uh, uh, Ramsey Nijem, who's the strength coach for the Kings, uh, here in town. You know, he was saying that he, you know, they track all that stuff. But they don't let the, they don't let the athletes know. Yeah. You know, it's more of like, uh, if they notice that the athlete had crappy practice or, you know, just didn't perform well, it's something you can go to the head coach of, Hey, this is why. Yeah. And that's why I say, like with our force plate using Sparta or watching the, the speed of movement with elite form, like those things pop up, you mm -hmm. know, what's going on? and you feel okay, what's wrong, you know, so we see it daily. We're, we're on a four to six week or four to six times a week, you know, um, 48, 46 to 48 weeks out of the year. So we're constantly with them. It's, it's like a family. It's, you know, when somebody's sick or somebody's not feeling good. Yeah. It's just the body language too. You get to know. Yeah. Now, so you mentioned the, the force plate, the Sparta. Do you, do, do you have them do, you know, get on that force plate every day prior to training? No. Or so that, how, how do you guys work that? That was my dream, you know, <laughs> and I don't know uh, when I started here because Again, uh, when, when we were at UConn, it was like, okay, well, let's see how fast you're moving the bar in a snatch. But what happened was those guys got smart, right? So they're like, well, I don't want to do that program. So I'm going to move the bar really slow today. So <laughs> it speaks volumes, right? If they're trying to get out of something to do something else, it speaks volumes to me. I wasn't getting upset. I was just trying to listen. So we have, okay, well, if, you, if you're not moving the bar fast, then you do the uh, yellow or red program, which was kind of stop or proceed with caution. But if you're moving that bar fast, hey, let's load it up. Let's go green, you know? Um, so what was the question? I don't even remember what we were talking about. Uh, so it was <laughs> the, the, the use of the Sparta and the force plates. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my, my dream was the McDonaldization of sports performance. So you come in, jump on the force plate, and it spits out a program based on uh, power output. Ah, uh, okay. That was my dream. Well, now, wait, wait, there's some artificial intelligence is getting into the programming world, so that could be a reality here yeah. in the next few well, years. Those smart people can figure out how to do that practically. I wanted that a long time ago. Um, so we don't do it every day. Um, we probably jump at this point once a month. Uh, okay. Women, uh, women's basketball, they jump every week, though. Volleyball jumps every week. Um, I think with women, it, it's interesting because force production fluctuates monthly, <laughs> you know. Is that because the, the menstrual cycle? And yeah, you can see it because 
uh, weight gain, uh, lack of motivation, um, just not having good energy, like it changes. Yeah, I mean, we see that on the platform a lot too, mm -hmm. where it uh, it's just everything feels heavy, slow. But the yeah. week before, it's like the best week of training. <laughs> right? Holy shit. It's, yeah. It's, uh, just get that boost. <laughs> That yeah. and, and that that's it's helpful that week but then that week that and again it, it it we see an increase in impulse or the time on the ground is is heightened yeah like, uh you know i want to kind of switch gears but kind of on the same lines you know, talked about some of the uh challenges of you know some of the athletes kind of thrown in the towel on certain uh or, or you know they, they know when they can kind of cheat the system. Mm -hmm. um, so it goes in line with this, you know, challenges as a strength coach. You know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you run into as a strength coach and, and how do you manage that? Or how do you manage well, those, those um, challenges? Like with the athletes, I would say our biggest challenge is rest and recovery. Um, our best scores for power output or in at the beginning of June when they've been off for three or four weeks and not training. Yeah. So that tells me we're in a constant state of overtraining, right? But that's the basketball season. So how, how do you manage that? It, how do you manage the training in season? Because it's, you know, they play it with two to three days a week. Um, sometimes three, but mostly two. Uh, yeah, it changes, but that's where working with Dr. Kramer and Jerry and realizing that um, power production is not the same every day and fatigue has a huge impact on that, that we're going to train what, what the athlete gives us and um, being able to work with that and how they feel. Um, yeah. So, do you so the challenge is, so what we do is we break it down. We break our workouts into three categories fatiguing, which is load driven, stimulating, which is velocity driven, and then recovery, which is just hopefully what that means is just, are we healthy? Are we, are we doing okay? And if we need to correct something, are we correcting it? Um, and we want them supposedly to be at peak performance in March and April, right? But yeah. it, the season's been going on for nine or 10 months already without a break. So that's hard. Um, so our load driven fatigue workouts happen in the summer because, uh, we're practicing less and the force production, um, or the output isn't as important as it is in season. So we do a lot of fatiguing work for eight weeks in the summer and that's about it. You know, otherwise we're stimulated velocity driven and based on how they're moving the bar, can we add weight or do we have to take weight off? So we call those stimulating workouts and we actually lift before practice for mm -hmm. 20 to 30 minutes. And it's just to get the movement pattern down and offset some of the reps that are happening on the basketball court. And that they're, um, I always say that I hurt the cats before coach self does because <laughs> we don't lift before practice anymore. He, um, we're running and, and doing something to get their attention. Gotcha. Um, so you know, the stimulating workouts kind of make sense of, you know, if, if people follow you on social media, uh, you, 
I want not saying you're the only one, but I would say you're one of the few coaches that implement the Olympic lifts in your training, especially for basketball players. Um, so, you know, I've always found from, you know, looking from afar, training culture in basketball is, I guess, unique. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of poo-poo about using the Olympic lifts, especially for basketball athletes, because they're too tall, too long. You know, uh, let's set the record straight. Why? Those are the ones that we have the most success with. And, and so, so tell, let's, and why is that? Because um, I think that's, that's an important, it's, it's an important issue to get across. Um, what I have found, and just to simplify it, is um, those guys that are so tall, um, don't create the reactability that the guards do in high school because they're so tall and they just kind of stand there. They don't have to move around and create that reactive strength um, for the most part. Now I'm speaking generally. So the guys that are really tall also weigh more, right? Yeah. So are they strong enough to handle their body weight running and jumping? And I would tell you by the, for most of the people that we get, there's a lot that cannot handle their own body weight. Mm -hmm. Even transfers from other schools come in here and they're not strong enough to run and jump and we see it on the force plate. So all we do is squat and clean them and the performance just takes off. Yeah, and that, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, people, I've heard coaches use that excuse on why not to uh, squat and power clean or even power snatch. Because they get stronger? No, because uh, they come in very feeble. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right, but it's, it, you know, um, you know and I've, I've never bought into that. Yeah. That um, idea. Again, we've had guys that have transferred from other schools, and they've been there for two or three years, high-level schools. And they come here, and they're not an NBA prospect. And we squat and clean them and their performance starts to go through the roof, but also they're getting some practice, you know, a lot of practice experience with reps with Coach Sell. But I, I think the combination of all of that stuff makes him a way better basketball player because right. they're not doing that stuff. And the, they're 260 pounds, and if they can't handle their body weight, that's a problem. And have you uh, – uh, I'm not sure if you're able to talk about this, but your, your injury rates – uh, have you seen, uh, you know, how do your guys' injury rates compare to, to other schools that you know may or may not use uh, you know, barbell training? Yeah, um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't have numbers for that. But I would tell you that the injuries that we look at are, are based on the individual athletes. We have a couple injuries this year that we've had where – um, one kid had wrist surgery. Uh, we've had a couple ankle sprains, but most common uh, injuries, knock on wood, in some of the athletes that we deal with, the reactive athletes are uh, foot fractures, um, lower leg fractures, or, or um, stress more like okay, stress, more stress fractures. Yeah, um, 
non-contact ACLs because you look at it and I call them raptors. They're like so wound up and they're so four foot dominant. They're so accelerated and so able to break that they never really use momentum to create speed and, and rhythm. It's just breaky and jerky all the time. So you look at it and I always say it's like anybody that has um, a prosthetic blade, you know, all it does is react with the ground. And that's ultimately what we're trying to create for performance. But then that doesn't do well for health because you get so tight and so bound up. There's no uh, movement. Um, so we have to work on foot mobility, lower leg mobility, like with the calf flexibility, um, and just the ability to create tension through a full range of motion because basketball is a jerky sport. A uh, high impact. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Do you, do you find that the, uh, the athletes that have traditionally taped their ankles more tend to have more ankle injuries? You know, they do it no, preventively, but. Actually, what's interesting is um, that limited dorsiflexion that occurs with basketball players that are reactive or any reactive athlete without who lacks mobility because we get a lot of those. We get a lot of good athletes that have great reactability, but not good health-wise because because they're just limited dorsiflexion. And then those forces go to knee and hip, you know? So um, I would say there's more uh, knee issues with um, maybe some type of tendinopathy or hip uh, labral issues or hip flexor tightness, because I think the the action then becomes less uh, flexion extension and more rotation. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Not more rotation. I would say there's more rotation than normal than what you'd see in an athlete. Right, because it's the bot the bottom of the chain can't move as right. as, as well. Um, and they get really good at it. Right. Well, that's good. yeah. That's the interesting. You know, the, the, it's a testament to to the, the human body of how, yeah. how it adapts to, yeah. um, you know, when, when it, I've seen it in weightlifting videos where the knees collapse, but then that preloads the glute meat, right? To try yes. to get an extension. And we see it in jumping with basketball players all the time. Right. It, it's well, it, whether you're coming out of a clean or a squat, that's, you're going to have a little bit of that no yeah. matter how Some strong. people have a lot though too, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, different. How do they stay healthy? But they do. It's just that their bodies are resilient. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears. And I heard um, I was listening to a talk by Dr. Brian Mann, and he quoted you. And That's not quote, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his quote was uh, uh, your quote was when athletes deserve love the least, they need it the most. Um, let's, let's dive into that. What, is, uh, what do you, you know, mean? I, I always operated under the golden rule, which was treat people how you want to be treated, right? But then one of my friends who's in leadership and he said, hey, Hootie, there's a platinum rule. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he said, treat people how they want to be treated. You know, so you got to get to know them. Yeah. And um, being the youngest of five in an athletic family and uh, always putting others first, you try to lead from a point of empathy. And, um, you know, again, without selling your soul, you try to help somebody along. 
Yeah, I think some, sometimes we uh, mix up uh, empathy and sympathy. Yeah, for sure. You can, you can, um, you can be empathetic, um, but not necessarily sympathetic, but still make that connection. Yeah. I, I, again, uh, I, I always say that the life is about relationships, you know, for me. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to do because, you know, someone's not, you know, someone's self-sabotaging themselves. You know, it's tough from a, uh, it's, it's a really hard position to be in as a leader or a coach or a teacher um, to pull back that frustration and, and not drop the hammer. Yeah, there's also patience in there too, right? And, and, and I always say that my, one of my strengths, my core values is passion. Well, okay, maybe somebody doesn't feel as passionate about exercise as I do, you know? So then I'm like, okay, well, okay, passion and patience. That's, that's a good play. Passion um, and patience. And I, you know, I always, I always do these talks and it's like, okay, well, you gotta know who you are, where you're coming from. So what are your core values? What are the three things that you can rely on as an individual? And, um, Mine are uh, passion for teaching, um, integrity. So, okay, yeah, we have these rules and these are the rules. Come in here with your gear on, no earrings, no jewelry, um, learn. You know, those are our rules. So not every, everybody's different. So it's a case by case. So do I have the ability to bend, you know? Yeah. Do, do you help your athletes kind of you're working with a, a, you know, more or less kids. They're over 18, but they're still kids, and they're still, you know, they're in a, a point in their lives where they're trying to find themselves. Do you help, you know, help teach that mindset? You got to figure out who you are and, and what you're about, and kind of that, you know, what you're saying. Help them, pr provide them with a path to help find those values of who they are. Yeah, definitely. Or do you, or do you leave that to Coach Self? Is that? Uh... Well, I think it's time and place. I would never, you know, get involved in basketball stuff. I, mm -hmm. I just kind of stay in my lane with what we do with performance. And if I need to tell him something, I, I share the information with him. But uh, recently, um, there was one of our athletes that was repeating the same behavior but expecting a different outcome. Right? Insanity. <laughs> Insanity. <laughs> so. Finally, I'm like, dude, you know, I have to answer to this with you. And you keep telling people one thing, but I know the truth. So he's like, are we good? And I'm like, no, we're not good. We're not good at all. Because I don't know if you know who you are. Because you're telling people, you're telling everybody all these different things. And I need you to figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think we got somewhere, but then there's relearning and reteaching and you know yeah it's a constant battle <laughs> it's a constant battle uh all right last thing i want to talk about you, you mentioned this you're, you're doing this um and it, it's very unique for a straight coach uh you're getting you know you're finishing up your mba yeah uh, uh why why uh why an mba are you getting out of coaching? Are you going to go in the business world? Well, that stat that you said was an interesting stat at the beginning from Train Heroic. That, unbelievable, because I was on an interview yesterday uh, with a, a staff, and um, 
they said, how, how have you been able to survive this long? And, um, how, and I don't look at it as that. I'm just me, period. I'm not looking to survive. I'm looking to thrive. So um, how, they said, how did you survive this long? And where do you see coaches now in the future? And what do you think strength and conditioning is going to be in the future? And I'm like, I need to prepare for the future. I, I, I think having a growth mindset, not a fixed one, not being like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a great strength coach. We've won 14 championships in a row, you know. So I, I, I need to thrive. I need to grow. I need to be ready for when the hammer does come down, if it does come down. And, and have a plan. So the MBA uh, came from, though, uh, me drawing parallels between my career as a female strength and conditioning coach to like um, uh, women engineers who don't thrive in their world. So I drew parallels between being a minority in a man's world, you know, a female minority in a man's world. And I've taken that to corporations and talked to them about it and you know, it's good. It's fun. And, and, and I've grown from that. And I think the NBA, at least, you know, the one thing I know if, if I left here tomorrow that I could run my own business. And, you know, so what's the, what's the biggest thing that you've learned uh, from your MBA that you've been able to apply to your coaching job and your coaching world? Well, because we I, I think there's a lot of overlap between you know, coaching and, and business. Yeah, I mean, you look at the parallels and it's, it's, you look at variability in the market, right? Because you're never running a straight line up. It's ups and downs. Yeah. And are, are we trending upwards? Because we see that with our force production on Elite Form and Sparta. Are we trending somewhere? Um, because there will be good days and there will be bad days, but are we continuing to progress and get better? Um, you know, to be able to sit and I, I don't want to be thought of, oh, she works in the weight room. I want to be thought of, can we talk about KPIs? Can we um, talk about things that business people talk about? And can we relate what we do to the business world? Because money rules the world. Yeah, for better, for worse. Right. Yeah. So I got to be prepared for that. <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Especially and uh, you know to be able to want to do that because that's a time another time sacrifice too to be able to want to do that at this point in your career speaks uh, volumes of of, um, of that growth mindset and who you are. So well, and again, it, it makes me learn. You know, that way I, I have a I don't have a choice. Uh, it takes away and eliminates the choice of should I watch this movie or should I read? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's <laughs> so, that's a hard one. But sometimes that's a hard one after a long day. <laughs> I know, right? So it, yeah, to eliminate choices um, that helps me. That's uh, well, yeah. Eliminating options makes it easier to make make the right decision. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, well, Andrea, uh, that's all I got for you today. I know you got you got your hands full being in season, so. Uh, yeah. When's your next game? Saturday. Saturday. It's an 11 a.m. Oh. game. Actually, <laughs> uh, so it reminded me of something I wanted to, to – the last question. So, All right. <laughs> uh, so you, you, uh, we were talking before, the, uh, before we started recording. 
you know, how do you, how do you as a strength coach deal with when your team isn't necessarily performing up to expectations or you have an athlete that's not performing up to expectations? You know, how do you as a strength coach help manage that or kind of navigate through that process? Yeah, I would think one, the first question would be why? Why is it, is it basketball performance related or is it physically related? Is it mentally related? So I would say, let's figure out why this thing may be happening. But, you know, my role changes throughout the year from, okay, that fatiguing phase of load stuff where it's hard and it doesn't feel good for these guys to most of the time, um, through the year, I'm a support staff member, so I'm supporting so that they do feel good. So whatever that takes, whether somebody needs a day off in the weight room just for their mental aspect or physically, let's go, let's go uh, do recovery work or go through the athletic trainer, get a massage. What do you need to do to feel good? Because everybody's different and everybody responds to stress differently. I think that's another thing that people don't realize too is some people get worked up over the littlest things and some people don't get even worked up over big things. So right. who is this person mentally too? Um, so I think that's different for everybody, but also the one thing that we do is the consistency and the skills are developed through repetition and we rep, 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 rep things that we need to do. So I would say we always go back to repetition. Like when we, if we have a really good team and we lose unexpectedly in the NCAA tournament, people's worlds get rocked, you know, from within our, our team, our coaches, the players, everybody. And it's like, we've been doing this thing for 10 months and it just ended. So then the hardest thing is when it ends, it's like, okay, well now what do we do? And then you find people in the weight room the next day going, Hey, we have time, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, well let's just be healthy. Yeah, it's almost you know something like that happens. It's like the uh, the New Year's resolution. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the the next day, let's pedal to the metal, and then you know, trying <laughs> from your standpoint, like managing that. Well, uh, it's you know that's important. I like the mentality, but let's make this sustainable. Yeah, and healthy. Yeah, healthy is a really huge term now in our world and in college sports, it's health and well-being of the student athletes and. Um, I went through a mental health checklist the other day that was published and I'm like, man, I'm all those things. And I think that's life, you know, the ups and the downs and it's just how you respond to it. And there are, we, we talked about it in games. It's like, there are runs where you're, you're on a 20 point run and everybody's feeling good, you know, and then somebody gets hurt and it's like, it sucks the wind out of you. Like that, that's the game of life, man. Yeah. No. Yeah. How, how you, how you respond when you're in the, uh, the goalies or the, uh, the trenches yeah to get back up oh that's rich all right well <laughs> i already said this I but I don't no no yeah absolutely absolutely so i already said this before but um i'm gonna hold to it i'm gonna be <laughs> i'm not gonna lie this time that's all i got for you thank you <laughs> um andrea where can uh where can our listeners follow your and your athlete's journey um, Instagram is at a underscore H U D Y. I believe that's Twitter also a underscore H U D Y. And then Facebook's Andrea Hootie. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you so much for taking the time. Very much appreciated. Thank you.
All right. There you have it, folks. Episode 55 in the books. Appreciate you guys listening and following our journey. Make sure to punch over to Instagram and give us a follow at Delta underscore weightlifting and head over to our website, deltaweightlifting.com to check out our programs uh, in and out the out of the gym, what we offer. Your support is much appreciated. All right, folks, that's it from us. Until next time, peace.